to the Wibbly Wobbly Timey Wimey Podcast. I'm Talia Franks, media critic, fanfic enthusiast, and I'm not looking forward to this episode. <laughs> and I'm Lucia Kelly, expert at applied analysis, and I am your salvation. But salvation and damnation are basically the same thing. Oh, yeah. Well, isn't that so true to me, though? <laughs> and we're here today to talk about love and monsters. The 10th episode of series two of Doctor Who. Love and Monsters aired on June 17th, 2006. It was written by Russell T. Davies and directed by Dan Zeff. Reminder, time isn't a straight line. It can twist into any shape. And as such, this is a fully spoiled podcast. We might bring things in from later in the show, the comics, the books, the audio dramas, or even fan theories and articles. With that out of the way, the blue bucket made it worse. So let's get in the TARDIS. According to IMDb, this is the one where Elton Pope is an ordinary man intrigued by the world of the Doctor when he and fellow enthusiasts, Linda, meet the mysterious Victor Kennedy. Their lives will never be the same again. This is the one where we talk about the people who get left behind. AKA when an alien ruins a perfectly fine <laughs> friends who are all just vibing, having a good time. And he just decides to fuck it all up. And oh my God, they were having such a good time. They had a little band. They were baking cookies. They were just vibing. They were having a good time. And then the fucking Absorbaloff decides to go fuck it all up. And I'm sorry, but this episode is terrible. You cannot convince me otherwise. I'm interested because I didn't know up until the point you said Absorbaloff whether you were talking about the Absorbaloff or the Doctor because this is the one where we put it in text the Doctor ruins people's lives. His lackadaisy devil may care attitude. We haven't had something as explicit as this since I think World War Three. I love it. I don't think it's the doctor's fault that evil aliens take advantage of vulnerable people. Mm, we'll see. But before we get super into it, we have a guest. Whoa. Priya, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, yeah. I'm Priya. I'm a longtime fan of Doctor Who going back to probably the mid-1980s-ish. And I think I'm in the middle between the two of you when it comes to this episode. There are things I love and there are things that are just so aggravating about it. <laughs> so you say you're like a fan from the 1980s. What's your story with Doctor Who? How did you get into it? I don't know. It was just this bonkers show that used to come on public television. And I grew up in one part of the U.S. that aired Doctor Who like for 30 years before it came back in its modern form. And every Saturday night they used to air it. And actually one of my earliest memories is watching it in the middle of the day. Like the first episode that I remember seeing is, you know, Tom Baker regenerating into Peter Davison at the end of Legopolis. Pretty bonkers introduction to the show then. <laughs> yeah. It was an absolutely wild introduction. Like I was three and a half years old sitting on the sofa and here's this curly haired you know man falling from a height turning into a blonde haired man and I was like what on earth is this and so I just kind of like kept watching after that <laughs> that's the long and the short of it uh, 
Yeah, I think my first classic Who episode was also a regeneration episode. It was the one where five turned into six. Caves of Androzani. Yeah. Yeah, I like that episode. <laughs> but yeah, no, my first proper Doctor Who episode was Rose. I think my first proper Doctor Who story was Time and the Ronnie, which is not a good story to start with. <laughs> And neither is this one, honestly. Like, this is not the episode that you introduce people to Doctor Who with. But the reason I'm saying that is not because it's bad or because it's weird. It's because it breaks the narrative structure of the show. This episode is filmed in a very specific way. The way the story is structured is done in a very specific way that is outside of the language of the show for the rest of it. We never see an episode like this again. Actually, you know what I was thinking when I was watching this episode is that I hate this episode for a lot of reasons. And one of them is because of the way it's structured. And it reminded me that a lot of the reason I hate sleep no more is because of the way it's structured. (laughs) Because it's also structured in a weird way where it's where like you're watching a recording of people talking about things. Uh, Live footage. Live footage. Yeah. Or found footage. Found footage, yeah. And I don't like found footage. (laughs) Yeah, no, this is a really weird episode because it's found footage. It's completely out of chronological order. And it's told in this very kind of mockumentary, boots on the ground style that is completely unpolished and amateur. I don't like it because it's a mix of mockumentary, unpolished, mixed in with the actual episode. Just pick one. Just pick. Either commit to the found footage mockumentary or be a regular episode. Don't play with me like this. I feel like the direction's all over the place. It's trying to do too many things at once. It doesn't know what kind of episode it wants to be. Yeah, there is a bit of that. I'm thinking particularly of the little mum montage that's like two minutes. The tone is all over the place as well. It just cuts and breaks a lot. The way in which it's a Dr. Light episode and like it's so obvious that the Doctor and Rose were only there (laughs) for like a few seconds. Like with Blink, where the Doctor and Martha are only slowly interspersed, I feel like that's also a Doctor Light episode where they're only there for a few scenes. But like, it's unfair to compare this episode to Blink. But that episode, it's also Doctor Light. The Doctor and the companion are only there for a few scenes. But those scenes are so tightly interwoven into the episode Whereas this episode, they just feel tacked on. I actually don't think it's a bad idea to compare Love and Monsters to Blink. I didn't say it was a bad idea. I said it was unfair because Blink (sighs) is an excellent episode and this episode is a trash basket. (laughs) What I was going to say was that I feel like Blink kind of takes what Love and Monsters did wrong and fixes it. So... We've got a lot of similar elements between Blink and Love and Monsters. We've got these ordinary people who are being affected in all these sort of outside ways by sort of brushing against the Doctor and Mm -hmm. against alien interaction. 
and trying to figure it out. And there's this whole conspiracy theory element to it. And so the type of episode this is, is referred to as a lower decks episode. And that's a reference to when it was done in Star Trek, I believe Star Trek Next Generation. I'm not as strong on my Star Trek knowledge, but basically that's an episode where we focus on the lower decks. We focus on like not the main characters. And it breaks this notion of why does this only ever happen to the main characters? What's happening with the rest of the world? And so we see everything outside of the narrative. And Blink does that in a similar way. I want to also preface that I fucking hate Blink. I hate that episode so much. Not because it's a bad episode, but because it upsets me. (laughs) On a spiritual level. So I'm not saying that I like Blink. I'm saying that it's a good episode and Love and Monsters isn't. I just don't want any of you to be under the misapprehension that I enjoy Blink because I don't. Oh. Can I just say that even though it is a Dr. Light episode, technically, I don't know that it's truly a Dr. Light episode because isn't Elton supposed to be the doctor, but like a fan version of the doctor? Because this episode is basically about fandom, right? At its heart, it's, it's about a, a bunch of people who are fans and they get together and, you know, the true power of fandom makes everybody friends. And then you have this toxic fan element gatekeeper type of fan who comes in and he's actually the absorb off and he destroys the fan group quite literally. But mm. the way that the episode focuses on Elton and he even has a companion in Ursula, it felt like Elton was supposed to be the self-insert version of the Doctor or like how a fan might engage with Doctor Who dressing up as the Doctor in cosplay and doing a fan story or a fan script or a fan movie or what have you. So even though it is Doctor Light and even though there's a lot about the way that it's structured that aggravates me, I still think that with Elton's character, it's sort of a show or sort of a story about the Doctor in its own way, if that makes sense. I also kind of love that. And it makes me hate the episode more. (laughs) No, it's one of the reasons I hate the episode because of what happens to Ursula. And it's emblematic of all my problems with the Davies era. Please expand on that, Priya. So when I watch classic Doctor Who and when I watch the 13th Doctor's era, companions have their own arcs, right? Some of them die. Some of them truly, they're horrific ends. But then also you have stories like Joe Grant finding somebody falling in love and getting married. You have stories like Ryan and Graham deciding they just want to walk away. They're still chill with the doctor, but they just want to leave. You know, they have their own thing going on. When I watch the Davies era, a lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time, it seems like bad things happen to the companions so that the doctor can feel things about it. I'm thinking in particular of like Donna Noble and the way that her ending was framed as tragic as it is. And as interesting as it is, it was also kind of framed in a way, in my opinion, to be sort of about the doctor and the doctor's emotions around it. And when I watch Love and Monsters, you see the ending of the story where Ursula comes back. I just had so many questions about like, is she able to leave the house without Elton? What happens if they break up? Does she have a life outside of him? And even the way that it was filmed was very strange because he's doing this video blog. And at no point does he actually turn her around to face the camera. Like she's just there and it felt like she was almost an accessory. And that's how I feel about the way the doctor, or I guess the way the scripts often treat companions in the Davies era. They're almost just accessories where things happen to them. So the doctor feels things. 
and they don't necessarily have arcs. If they do have arcs of their own, there's still so many unanswered questions, and it's just basically to make the doctor have an emotional response. Yeah, that articulates a lot of how I feel about the companions, especially Donna, because her whole arc is undone. Her whole arc is undone. It's so unfair. And Rose's arc is just all about the doctor. And that's why Martha is my favorite companion, because to the extent that her arc is about the doctor, it is about divesting herself from the doctor. Very much so. Part of what I enjoy about it is, yes, it is doctor-centered, which is less than ideal, but it's about growing away from him rather than growing towards him. And this is something I think I've mentioned to you before. I find it really interesting that all the companions who have voluntarily left the doctor have been black. (laughs) I, I would say in the modern era, yes, that's very strange. It's very strange. And I'm talking about the modern era. There's no Black companions in the classic era. But in the modern era, all of the companions who have voluntarily left have been Black. Like, you have Rose trapped in an alternate dimension. Donna got her memories erased. Amy and Rory died in the past. Clara died, left in her own TARDIS, whatever. But... Martha she's just like you know peace I'm out (laughs) I gotta do me now and Mickey he left on his own Mm -hmm. he was just like Rose you don't need me anymore he left Bill was like you left me to die I'm gonna leave you to die (laughs) Ryan is like we had a good time but people need me on earth so I'm Gucci we can still hang but I'm gonna be my and like and Graham only left because Ryan was leaving (laughs) so I'm just saying all these white folks are ride or die literally they're like I'm gonna be here till I die but the black people are like okay I'm gonna be and then I'm gonna leave before things get too hot And it is interesting that apart from Ryan, who does leave on good terms, that all of those companions specifically call the doctor out on, you don't value me as a person, right? My personhood is compromised by being near you. And you literally see me as a companion, as an accessory to your life rather than my own being. That's got to stop. And I'm not dealing with that anymore. I'm not dealing with your white nonsense anymore. (laughs) It's an interesting thing to think about, you know, have that in the back of your brain. Yeah, so to get back to the episode. (laughs) Yeah, that was a bit of a tangent. I kind of want to keep going down this road of exploring this episode as a examination of fandom culture. Because Talia, as you say, right? And Priya, as you say, it's a parody, but it's almost an affectionate parody. Like, we see you making art, we see you making music, we see you connecting on deeper levels, we see what this show has brought. This show was what connected you, but look at how you connected to each other. But at the same time, Ursula is an accessory for Elton. And there might be a little bit of POV stuff happening there as well, where we're seeing it from Elton's perspective. So... That's his view of Ursula rather than who she actually was as a person. That's a writing choice too, right? Like it's the choice Hmm. to say, well, this is Elton's episode and not Ursula's episode. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And 
the way that women get silenced and minimized in fandom spaces. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Quite literally, they get just absorbed into the butt <laughs> of everything. <laughs> Bless, Bliss. Yeah. Bliss and Bridget died first. And got absorbed into the butt, into the worst space. And we get close ups on everyone else's faces. We never see Bliss again. No. Nope. We don't see Bliss's absorbed face. Just hear her voice. I do love Mr. Skinner's presentation just brought joy to my heart. That is what I live for. <laughs> that is exactly the kind of presentation that I would give. <laughs> Let's talk about the Doctor as a collection of archetypes. Like, yes, Mr. Skinner, speak to me. <laughs> Very strong English professor vibes. Mm -hmm. Love it. <laughs> I also love the bit where it talks about like his first name was Colin, but we all called him Mr. Skinner. It reminded me a lot of how, and this obviously came out years later, but it reminded me a lot of how in Good Omens, there's the character named Wensleydale. It was like, mm -hmm. his first name is Jeremy, but everyone called him Wensleydale, except for his parents who called him Youngster. <laughs> But that's not why we're here. Let's talk about the meat of the episode. Let's talk about Jackie. <laughs> oh my goodness. I love Jackie. Jackie I was great. Jackie. I love Jackie so much. And this episode finally does her right. Gives her justice. Gives her like what she needs. What I did find it hysterical that Rose is all like up and up. I mean, should we expect anything less of her? But like, she's all up in arms. Like you upset my mom. I'm like, who did it first, hun? <laughs> like... Yeah, I mean, like, Jackie has this whole thing about, you know, Rose is left and she's left alone and doesn't know when Rose is coming back. And it's like, okay, I know Rose is like 20, but still, ma'am, ma'am, I don't know if you know what you're doing to your own mother. The lack of self-awareness. Like, no one's allowed to upset my mom except for me. I love it. I don't even have, like, anything concrete to say about it. I just adore that they gave Jackie space. And they're like, yeah, remember Jackie? Remember the mom? It's so interesting putting this episode right up against The Impossible Planet and The Satan's Pit, where we have a conversation between Rose and the Doctor, kind of justifying the fact that they will never be able to contact Jackie again and how that's okay, actually. And I'm like, no, no, it fucking isn't. It's fucking not. And I'm, mm-mm. Call your mom! The cringe moment for me in this episode is the, um, how shall I, how shall I categorize this scene? The seduction scene? Oh yeah, the seduction scene. Oh yeah, that was painful. That was, oh. that was painful. Oh. I like like, Jackie, my babe, my darling, shoot your shot. But at the same time, I don't want to see it. <laughs> like, chase that bliss, but no, not in front of me. I did not want it. I kept my eyes closed and covered my ears, starting when I think the last thing I remember is she brought him wine and splashed it. I covered my ears and kept my eyes closed until she hung up the phone on Rose. I was just like, la, 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 la. <laughs> Not watching this. 
Yeah. I mean, that was kind of a recurring thing with the era, right? Like treating Jackie and treating any woman over a certain age as cringe and weird if they had any kind of sexual drive at all and framing it in such a way that it was like, okay, this is clearly meant to be cringeworthy. This is clearly meant to make us feel like, oh my God, why is she hitting on Elton? God forbid a woman over a certain age want to have sex with a handsome young man. Who cares? It's not that big of a deal. And yet somehow with this episode, it is a sign of her own desperation and loneliness and everything else. Well, the slut shaming of Jackie is something that's present throughout the whole series, the whole of her run. There's a way to write sex scenes that isn't so cringeworthy and uncomfortable. This episode did not succeed in doing that. Yeah, it's meant to be cringy, right? It's written to be cringy. They're not going out of their way to empower Jackie's sexual choices, right? And that's sort of part of it, right, is they're framing Jackie trying to connect with this younger man as a mark of her loneliness and desperation, right? She literally says, I was just being a bit stupid. And it's like, I hate it. But I love how Elton deals with it. I love the way he takes that situation and is like, you know what? Fair enough. I'm going to go get pizza. Let's put on the telly too loud. Proper mates. And that is like, I'm sorry. I find Elton really endearing. I do. He's an idiot, but like. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the problem is never Elton. Like the problem is never Elton himself. He's a great kid great guy it's the episode around him yeah and I think they do a really good job of characterizing him as this very particular kind of nerd as well despite the fact that it's so choppy and doesn't quite flow nicely I do like how they film all of the Elton pieces like when he's very clearly in charge of the camera himself and also the way that the actor plays that like the world of Elton and the world of the Doctor are separate things and they overlap. But when Elton's just by himself, when Elton's with Linda, it's filmed very differently and acted very differently. And it's this idea of the Doctor as this transformative force that comes in and changes things. Yeah, I just want to make something very clear. I absolutely loathe this episode so much, but I love Elton. I love Linda. I love Ursula, Mr. Skinner, Bliss, Bridget. They're all fantastic. Chef's kiss. Love them. I just really hate this episode with every fiber of my being. I wish I could just pick them up out of this episode and put them in a safe, soft little bubble far away from Victor Kennedy. Because I think, like Priya said, it's a perfect example of what toxic fandom does to people and like they're all such sweet soft cinnamon rolls and I just want to protect them (laughs) yeah no Victor Kennedy's that guy who thinks that because he got a DM from the doctor that they're now best friends (laughs) (laughs) Victor's the kind of guy who collects information and he thinks that makes him the super fan right like he's that guy at the convention on the message boards on reddit whatever he's got torchwood files notice torchwood's back again mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and also the newspaper that he's holding has a very interesting headline 
Wait, what does the newspaper say? I didn't catch that. There's some seeding of season three. The headline says Saxon leads polls with 64%, followed by four more months of government paralysis. <laughs> so, so Saxon's on the move. He's definitely doing shit behind the scenes. Are there any other points that anyone wants to bring up or talk about in this episode or like? This episode doesn't sit right with my spirit. You got what you, what I had to say about it. I just think it's both a really great love letter to fandom, but also just really emblematic of all the things that I just didn't like about this era as a whole. Mm. With the way that it's just centered on the Dr. Light Doctor, aka Elton Pope, and the other characters, as wonderful as their characterization is, get brushed to the side and they don't really get very much after they all die except for Ursula mm. who gets turned into a paving stone and we never see her yeah actually I want to talk more about paving stone Ursula what the fuck yeah <laughs> what the fuck can I just jump ahead and say that my least favorite moment is that sex joke at the end oh god yeah oh yeah like yeah mm. yeah I've gotten to least favorite moments and favorite moments yeah but my least favorite <laughs> moment is that sex joke at the end I mean, it just, it raises so many questions, not just the sex joke, which I don't want to answer any of those questions, but mm. <laughs> it raises so many questions of like, you know, if, if, how does she get around? How does she live her life outside of Elton's room? Like, I'm sorry. I know we just said we didn't want to talk about it, but like, does he move her up and down his body? Oh my God. I, you know, <laughs> is... mm. and how does, and how does she get satisfaction? I don't well, that's like... the thing, right? Like, <laughs> she's, she's the accessory, right? She's half ahead. Actually, does she still have a phantom body that she can feel? Or is she just ahead? See, that's the big question. Half ahead. Half ahead. ahead. So my question is, like, I've read stories about people who are amputees who can sometimes phantom feel the limbs that they have lost. So can she phantom feel her body? We don't know. Also, Doc, can't you, like, build her a little body? Or, like, make the concrete form a body or something? Ardol got his body back. Why couldn't Ursula? Fair point. But that's the thing. They just basically treat her as, like, oh, well, she's alive for Elton, therefore we don't need to answer a single question about her life and her quality of life. Elton can still get regular blowjobs. Nothing else matters. (laughs) Pretty much, right? I have so many questions. Did Ursula have a job? Did she do other stuff? Did she have family outside of Linda? Did she have friends outside of Linda? Do they know what's going on? And we never get any, it doesn't matter because it's focused so much on Elton and that's it. And it's just frustrating. It's so frustrating, even without the joke, which was, wow. It does not sit right with me (laughs) in my spirit. Also, there's no hole at the back of the, like, I'm just, I'm you're, so confused. You're overthinking something that they never wanted you to think about is what if it is. If they didn't want me to think about it, they shouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> they brought it up. They did this. Oh. I don't know. Maybe we're over the it's not technically a sex joke. He just said that they still have a love life. Maybe it's not a sexual love life. Maybe they're aromantic. Maybe they just have a lot of long conversations and they don't have any sex. I mean, he's literally holding her in position on his lap. I don't think we were meant to miss it. <laughs> yeah. It's 
as someone who has romantic relationships without having sexual relationships, I would like us to be open to this alternative. It's possible, but it's also a Davies script, right? <laughs> oh yeah, did you catch that vague little mention of like, there are two ladies living there now and they're a bit severe. Like, okay. <laughs> oh my God, that was actually in my notes. Like, what the fuck? Is this against lesbians? Does he not like lesbians? To be fair to RTD, this was like 2006, right? I don't know. It just... Who knows? They might have been sisters. Oh my God. Just wait until we get to Gridlock and Catman. (laughs) All right. So, Talo, you've given us our least favorite moment, which has given us so much to talk about. (laughs) Priya, what was your least favorite moment? Oh, my least favorite moment is probably just Ursula coming back and we don't know anything about what that means for her like the whole of it the whole of that my least favorite moment is the seduction scene I didn't need to see that my favorite moment is that quote at the end which is the only good moment of the episode that's not true I actually really like the moment where they're vibing in the band and they're having a good time and they're all dancing they're jamming out. The reason it's not my favorite moment is because Victor Kennedy ruins it. And so my actual favorite moment is when Elton says, when you're a kid, they tell you it's all grow up, get a job, get married, get a house, have a kid, and that's it. But the truth is the world is so much stranger than that. So much darker and so much matter and so much better. And that's the only reason I don't want to give the writing for this episode a zero. Honestly, my favorite moment is probably the love letter to fandom montage, like where they stop being about the doctor. You know, we learn about Bridget's daughter. You know, we learn more about Bliss and who she is and the kind of things she's into. And then leading into, obviously, the scene where they're the ELO cover band. That whole scene, like that's really what fandom is. The best of fandom when you meet somebody with a common interest and then you become friends. And then you actually know them as people beyond just your common interest. I really love that part of it. Yeah. That was going to be my favorite moment, except for the fact that I hate how Victor Kennedy comes in and stops it. And then that sullies it for me. (laughs) Fair. My favorite moment, which is very my favorite moment. Oh, no. (laughs) My favorite moment is when Jackie confronts Elton. I love it. It's so good. It's just... How did I know that was going to be your favorite moment? And like all of the props to Camille Kaduri. Oh my God. It's so good. It's such a good breakdown of what the doctor does, right? And what it means to be left behind and to not be considered a person in your own right. And holding people accountable for that mm-hmm. and then the follow-up of elton being like oh yeah fuck i messed up <laughs> let's <laughs> let's address this <laughs> that whole bit of it is great i love it yeah it's pretty great so my question is who are the hero and the atom i think we can safely say that the absorbaloff is the atom or victor kennedy or whoever the question is, is, is the Reddit incel worse than the Doctor? 
I think he's worse. He's the one who's actively eating people. Sure, sure. But who was the hero? My vote's Ursula. She does everything. She literally does everything. She destroys the Absorbable off at the end. She's the one who comes up with the idea to break the cane, to get the rest of Linda to fight back against the Absorbable off. Throughout the episode, she's the one who's fighting back against Victor Kennedy. Yeah, my vote is her. I know Elton's probably the fandom choice if there were a fandom choice, but he doesn't do it very much. He just doesn't do very much at all. Elton doesn't do shit. He really doesn't. No, he's the observer. He's the documenter. His whole story is about him being a side character to his own narrative. Even his name, Elton, right? He is overshadowed by his very name. It's all about how he is constantly sidelined by his own life. Honestly, every time I watch this episode, which is not often, I don't actually think of Elton John. I think of Clueless. And I think of that Elton. I love that for you. And I also then think of Emma and that Elton. Because I love Emma. My mom used to compare me to Emma. And then I actually read Emma when I was in middle or high school. And I was like, the fuck, mom? Why are you always comparing me to her? I was about to say, that's not exactly a compliment. There's a letter that we found of Jane Austen where she's writing to one of her friends about the book she's writing and that book is Emma. And she says something along the lines of, I've written a heroine who I'm afraid everyone else will hate, but I love her very much. (laughs) Something along the lines of, I've put all of the worst and the best of me in her. (laughs) Yeah, I think I remember reading that letter. She said something like, I think no one but myself will like her or something like that. She had awareness. Funny thing is, I actually do like Emma. I like her a lot. And I feel like my mom might have been right, and I'm annoyed. So, Priya, what we do at the end of each episode is that we grade the episode on five elements. And Talia, I see you filling it in. No, we're talking about this. (laughs) You can't see what I just did, but I just gave everything a zero science which I gave a five (laughs) I'm feeling production between a two and a three because the sets the costuming the differentiation of the shots all that stuff like I said I actually really like but it's also so choppy (laughs) and so there's a bit of overlap between production and writing in terms of just how tone deaf or tone mismatched it is and I keep coming back to that stupid stupid mum montage it makes no sense the mum montage makes no sense it shouldn't be there (laughs) okay I want to give it a zero you want to give it a two let's give it a one to compromise (laughs) Priya what do you think I probably would go with a one here because I'm with you on the mom montage it's like yet another instance of bad things happen to a woman for a man to feel sad about it like I'm over it I'm over it I'm over it but also like okay so up to this point we've had either the found footage that Elton makes or we've had following him in his actual life what's happening and then we have this mom montage where it starts off as found footage and then turns into this metaphoric 
face where she's leading him by the hand on a soccer field and leaves him behind and it all goes what what is that <laughs> no pre-establishment of fantasy element <laughs> like i said i want to give it a zero you want to give it a two let's give it a one we'll give it a one it's a one one. I want to give the writing a one because it has that good line at the end. I also really like the little moment. I think about this moment a lot because it's so cute where Mr. Skinner and Bridget kiss and then you have the three of them walking outside and Ursula's like, was that a little kiss? Will there be more little kisses in the future? And I'm like, that's so cute. That's adorable. Yeah, except for the fact that Bridget is dead because this episode is trash. Okay, we'll give it a two. All right, the acting is a five. Mm-hmm. I like the acting. The acting is good. Now, I would not give the science a five. The science doesn't make sense. I forgot about the absorbable act. I blocked the absorb off out of my brain. I was like, oh no, there's no science in this episode. The science obviously makes sense because there's no science. Because I forgot about the absorb off because I wanted to forget about the absorb off because I wanted to forget about all of this episode because I hate it. Also, Victor Kennedy as a ca- I'll get to like why the science of the absorb off as a creature doesn't make sense in a minute, but Victor Kennedy doesn't make sense. He finds Linda, right? He's like, oh, cool. A bunch of like vulnerable and naive humans to take advantage of. I can like make my little minions. And then he starts eating them. Like, (laughs) eat someone else. That's your team. What are you doing? You're actively sabotaging yourself. Yeah, no, I mean, he, he was trying to use them to find the doctor, and then he starts eating them. You're right, that makes no sense whatsoever. It makes no sense. What would make sense if there were two Absorbaloffs, and they're both, like, if it was a competition? Like, there are ways to make this episode make sense. How does he not have a species name? Right? He just steals, he just takes what Elton tells him he is. And Elton and the doctor both decide on the same thing to call him? Mm-hmm. Yes. Is being an Absorbaloff not actually his species because it's somehow connected to his little cane thing? Right. This is what I want to talk about. How can there be a species that its entire thing is it either absorbs or is absorbed so that you need an external contraption to ensure that you live, to ensure that you can walk around (laughs) and be a being? (laughs) Like... A species like that will never get off the ground because you need to be effective enough to make the thing. But if you haven't made the thing first, you can't make the thing because you're already absorbed. Like, never mind. We're giving the science a zero. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to be generous and give it a one, but we're giving it a zero. I think it was like implied that the Zorbaloff was not a normal member of its species. Whatever the species is, he's from Klom, wherever that is. But I think the implication is that he wasn't a normal whatever, and that's why he had the cane, but it was never fleshed out. I don't know. The way that I've justified it in my head is that mm-hmm. Earth is made out of different materials to Clom, yeah. and so on Clom, you wouldn't be absorbed, but on Earth, you would be. That's the only thing that can make sense to me. I'm giving the science a zero. <sighs> and rewatchability. 
rewatchable. This episode cannot be redeemed. This episode is terrible. I never want to see it again. No. This is going to get such a bad grade. <laughs> you think I give a fuck? I'm out of fucks. They're gone. They've escaped. What's your personal rewatchability? We'll average it out. It's a little rewatchable, like a little bit. <laughs> My personal rewatchability is a zero. Okay. So I don't, here's the thing. I don't go out of my way to watch this episode, which I, like, five out of five rewatchability is you're like, I need to watch a Doctor Who episode. I'm going to choose this one. I would never, in that mood, pick this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I don't skip it. If I'm watching the season, I'm going to watch Love and Monsters. And maybe if I want to think about how story is made and constructed because I'm in an analysis mood, I might put it on for that specifically. Like, maybe a one or two. (laughs) Being honest, I have not watched this episode since it aired until I had to watch it for this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's been like 15 years. I think that probably makes it like if I'm asked to watch it for a podcast, I'll say yes. So that's a one. (laughs) All right, I'll concede to a one. All right, where is my grading spreadsheet? 32%. It's the worst episode we've ever had. Wait, no, 36%. 36%, yeah. That is a hard F. <laughs> that is a hard F. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Love and Monsters, my beloved. F. Thank you for listening to the Wibbly Wobbly Timey Wimey podcast. We hope you enjoyed this adventure with us through space and time. You can find us elsewhere on the internet on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at WibblyPod. Follow us for more Wibbly Wobbly content. You can find out more information about us and our content on WibblyWobblyTimeyWimey.net and full transcripts for episodes at WibblyWobblyTimeyWimey.net slash transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can also send us an email at wibblywobblytimeywimeypod at gmail.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and other platforms as it helps other people find us and our content. If you'd like to support us, you can send us a donation at paypal.me slash wibblypod. Special thanks to our editor, Dee, who has been a vital member of the Wibbly Wobbly team. That's all for now. Catch you in the time vortex. <laughs>